0: broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round and you can't find the fighter Well, I see it in you so we gonna walk it out and move mountains we're gonna walk it out and move
1: ready for the truth? Then let's get real then. Sin caused divorce so something had to be done to set up visitation rites between God and his children. Such an unbelievable plan or one or thing could stop it. In fact it's so inconceivable only a holy God could concoct it. Now with the pieces in place death demanded but love commanded that the price be paid. Our Lord came knowing that from the first breath was just the first step in dying a sinner's death. Now, betrayal, denial, and suffering were all drawing near. But after a father son talk in a garden, he faced it all with no fear. And
0: I'll rise up, rise like the day. I'll rise up,
2: I'll rise unafraid. I'll rise-
1: Huh. But one last declaration must be made Christ said it was finished And it seemed a victory for hell Our Savior had died And all on the earth darkness fell
0: When the silence is quiet And it feels like it's getting hard to breathe I know that you feel like dying but I promise we'll take the world to its feet And move mountains We'll take it to its feet And move mountains
1: But wait, Christ said it was finished And it seemed a victory for hell Our Savior had died But three days later, he rose up, and that's when darkness failed. No more destiny, no veil, and no separation, no fear of death, because you can't kill something that breathes eternal breath. Such a creative plan that seemingly led to his own demise. Yet the whole point of him falling was so he could rise. Looking back, it becomes clear at how it was all essential. In dying, Jesus showed us his love, but in rising, he showed his unlimited potential.
0: I'll rise up, rise like the day I'll rise up, I'll rise unafraid I'll rise up.
1: Of love, we won't see again until we're face to face with our Lord. It's not that it will be like a love we've never seen, but it will be like we've never even seen love before.
0: All we need, all we need is hope, and for that, we have.
2: Church. There we go. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Look, it's already been an incredible service. My name is Troy. Me and my wife, Darla, as you just heard, we get the privilege to pastor this church. And we are just. Can, I'm not even going to say the word excited. You see, I almost did that. They got me in that realm of excitement. Um, I, the service has already been pretty impressive. I've been kind of blown away by worship. And then how about that intro? Did y'all see that intro? Right? Were y'all in here for that? I, I looked over at Tim. I said, what was that line about um, you can't kill someone who breathes eternal breath? I almost got slain in my chair. Did y'all hear that? Like, man, it's incredible. Look, if you, do me a favor. First of all, if you're visiting with us this morning, let me say welcome. Thank you for choosing to spend your Easter Sunday with us. And as you've heard right after church, We'll be able to participate in some ice cream and some egg hunts, and so we hope that if you've got kids, you'll allow them to be able to enjoy that. If you don't have kids, we'd love to invite you to grab a cup of coffee, grab some ice cream, hang out, fellowship, meet some people. Every Sunday we meet right here, and God is doing something great in Victory Church and in the North Rutherford County and what we believe he's doing in right here in Smyrna. Amen, church? If you've got your Bibles, do me a favor, open to the book of John, chapter 20. If you got your Bibles, John chapter 20. In the page Bible, you would go Mar- Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then there would be John. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry. We'll have it on the screen. You'll be able to follow along with us. As you're turning there, we have been in a series right now called Patterns. We've actually been this is the eighth week of Patterns that our church has been going through. And what we believe is that throughout the Bible, God has placed in advance uh, Patterns. For us to be able to see success in every area of our lives, and, and there's all. So I'll give you some of the things that we've talked about over the past seven weeks. First, we talked about um, the pattern in, in with our anxieties, with our with our worries, and we talked about we always talked about kind of the world's pattern and then God's pattern because Paul said, "Do not be do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." So God's patterns will transform us, but these world patterns. We can only conform to. And so we kind of gave you an example of both. And so with anxiety, we talked about this, that the world says you should dwell on it. You should just dwell on it and worry about it. And yet the Bible says that with prayer and petition, you should present it to God. When it came to our thoughts, we talked about how both patterns are a whatever pattern. And the world says, think about whatever is easy and whatever is popular and whatever is self-pleasing. And yet the Bible says, think about whatever is right and lovely and true. We talked about offense and when somebody hurts you, what you should do and how the world tells you to let it build. And then God, we we had a whole frozen concert where God told us to let it go, let it go. Obviously, you can tell I'm not uh, a singer here at this church. There's a reason why I preach and don't sing. And so then we talked about faith and how the world says to see it, then believe it, and then wait for it when it comes to faith. And the Bible actually says hear it, speak it, and do it. And then last week, we talked about sacrifice. And we talked about how the world sees our sacrifice as waste, but God sees our sacrifice as worship. And we've just been going through all throughout the Bible. And there's so many patterns. I was talking to some men in the church. I said, I may kind of re, I may resurrect this series in the new year and kind of go over some more patterns that I wasn't able to get to, like relationship patterns or financial patterns. There's even a pattern free evangelism in the Bible. There's patterns all Throughout scripture. Because listen, the Bible is not just an ancient book. It's, the, it's God's game plan on how we operate life. So it's given us the patterns on how to operate. And there's a reason why we named this church Victory. We named it Victory because listen, I know it's Easter Sunday. And I know that this is the Sunday that we celebrate the resurrection. But I like to think we celebrate the resurrection every day. And you're going to hear me talk a little bit about that throughout the sermon and why we do. But because of that, we named the church Victory. Victory. Because as Christians, we walk in. All right, y'all are with me? I'm just kind of getting you ready. We're a shouting church. We're a talking back church. So we're just doing some practices here to make sure your vocal cords are warmed up and ready to go. All right, you ready to go? This morning, we're going to look at the pattern of resurrection. The pattern of resurrection. I believe that there is a pattern to why and all the purposes behind the resurrection that we tend to miss. And I'll show you that here in a minute in John chapter 20 verses 1 through 8, we're reading an account by John, one of Jesus' disciples, and how he kind of remembers this situation going when he first learned that Jesus' body was no longer in the tomb. So John 20, verse 1, early on the first day of the week while it was still dark, so it's either really late or really early, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone that they put in front of the tomb had been removed from the entrance. So somebody's been messing with this tomb. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Now, we did a series when we launched the church called Missing Pieces, and we explained that John is the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we explained it this way. It's not because Jesus loved him more than he loved us. It's because of the way John perceived himself and that we are all the disciple whom Jesus loved. We just have to see ourselves that way. So Simon, Peter, and John, I want you to know who we're talking about today, Peter and John. She came running to Peter and to John and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. He's gone. And we don't know where they've put him. This was the very first Easter egg hunt. You see how it happened? We don't know where you put him. We got to go searching for him, right? No? Okay. Here we go. In case you ever need theology to back up Easter egg hunting, don't use that. I'm joking, okay? There is no theology. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running. This is going to be important in a minute. But the other disciple, John, outran Peter. Peter Peter's slow. John took his pre-workout, Scout. He's balling. He's ready to go. So he outruns Peter and he reaches the tomb first. He bends over and looks in at the strips of linen lying there but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. All these things are going to be important today. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and he believed. Lord, I thank you right now for your word. I thank you that your word's alive. And as we open up your word this morning and as we look at all of the meanings behind your resurrection, I pray you would make our hearts tender to that. I pray that those who have been running away from you, Lord, would would see how much you love them this morning and that there would be an opportunity for them to commit their lives to you. And for those of us who are already following you, our faith would be strengthened and that today would be a great day as we celebrate all that you've done in our lives and the victorious life that you gave us through your resurrection. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. When I read the Bible, I like to kind of put myself in the Bible. I I like to, like, look into things and go, okay, why was this going on and how did that happen and all that. And whenever I tend to do that, I start to kind of see patterns. I start to see things that stand out. And as I read this story, I started to see things in it that really can bring attributes to the resurrection, okay? And I want to kind of walk you through it. But here's the first thing. Number one, resurrection is retrospective. The resurrection is retrospective, all right? Let's, let's kind of get this in our mind. You've got Peter and you've got John, and they take off running to the tomb, okay? And it's saying they're taking off running. And then there's another version, they call it the message paraphrase, where it says they were running neck to neck. And so I'm kind of picturing, like you got John and you got Peter, and they're running together, and they're shoulder to shoulder. And at some point, John begins to take the lead, and it says that John reaches the tomb first. I thought this was interesting because what I was seeing was two people who were moving in the same direction and yet they arrived with different results. Isn't that interesting? That people can be moving in the same direction and yet arrive with different results. Another way, like this two people can be looking at the same situation and yet arrive at two different conclusions. I'll give you some examples. How many of y'all are parents in here? Anybody here, parents in here? Like, do you have the problem I have that when you see somebody parenting in public, in your mind, you begin to process how you would parent that situation? Do y'all do that? Me and Darla, we were out of town for spring break, took the kids to see the grandparents, and we came back. We went out to eat with some friends, and one of our friends watched the girls, and so we were kid-free. And y'all know how that is. When you're kid-free, you don't want to even see a kid, right? Like if you see one, you're right out of here. I don't want to see it. I don't even know children exist for the next two hours. And so we go to this pizza place and we're sitting there, we're eating, and this family behind us, God bless their soul, um, they can't contain their little boys. And he's running past my table and Darla's purse is hanging on my chair. And every time he runs past, he hits the purse and the purse hits me and there's like a chalkboard behind us and he's drawing on it and screaming. And I'm just like, oh, Lord, resurrect right now. Just rise and just let him rise, matter of fact. Um, and so I'm just, I'm trying to have a conversation with my friends and it's distracting. And I start processing all of the ways I would parent this situation, right? Because two people can be looking at the same situation and yet arrive at different conclusions. Happens all the time. I'll give you another example. Fashion, right? People, two people can be looking at the same outfit and come up with different conclusions. Some of you will look at an outfit and go, there ain't a way in this world I'm putting that on. And there'll be somebody else looking at the same thing, going, "Ooh, I'm gonna rock that!" You know, like it's just two totally different perspectives. It's crazy. Happens with music. Uh, me and Scout, the guy who plays the drums, we tend to work out together, and I'll ride with him sometimes, and, and he'll put on some of his music, and he likes to headbang, as you can see. And um, I'm just sitting in a chair, thinking, like, what is he listening? what is happening right now? Like, is that in tongues? I don't know what's going on right now. It's just one of those things where two people can be experiencing the same situation and come away with different results. Television. Some of you watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Some of y'all watch. Now we know who it is, right? (laughs) Some of y'all watch it. Two people can be looking at the same situation and yet arrive at different conclusions. In the same way, two people can be looking at an empty tomb and arrive at two different conclusions. One person can see it as an event, and another person will see it as an experience. That's why it's retrospective, because when some people look back on it, it's a past event. And when other people look back on it, it's an ongoing experience. Notice Peter and John are running towards the tomb. The moment they hear about it, they take off running towards the tomb. And the reason for this, and you guys know this, they have a personal relationship with Jesus. This whole situation is personal. It's not like some stranger's body is disappearing. This is Jesus. This is the guy they ate and, and broke bread with and did life with and they heard his mission and they believed in his purpose and they were behind him and they were supporting him. And this is, there was a personal connection there. And because it was personal, it went from being an event to an experience, Give you another uh, example. My youngest daughter turned eight this past weekend, okay? So we had her birthday party, and me and my wife, and we, we had it at a bowling alley. And me and my wife are just, it was an experience for us because she was our firstborn, and she's our baby, and now she's all big, you know what I mean? She's wearing, like, big shoes, and we put on her, like, big girl Easter dress this morning, and we were all crying and stuff because she's a, and here's the real reason y'all know this. It's because you realize you're old, right? So you kind of like, oh, yeah, about to die soon. And so just kind of get that idea. Um, but, but it was an experience for us, and there were other people in the bowling alley, didn't care about it. Matter of fact, it was an event to them. See what I mean? It was an experience to us, and it was an event to them. Why? Because when it came to the person it was about, we had a personal connection. And when something becomes personal, it it goes from an event to an experience, it's why when you see some people screaming, your name, your name is victory, and screaming, he took the keys of hell. There's a reason why there's an excitement, and exuberance there, because it's personal. Because there was a relationship that I had with the person that this is all about. And so at one point in my life, it was a past event. I remember when I was young, all the only thing I cared about when it came to this weekend was my Easter basket. And, I mean, I was like 14 getting, getting really good Easter baskets, okay? <laughs> kind of disappointed that I don't get them anymore. We're uh, trying to, like, buy my daughter stuff in advance for me, you know. But, but now the whole Sunday, Easter Sunday experience is different for me because it's personal. When Matthew tells about this story, because a lot of times you can find the same stories in the same Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when Matthew talks about this story, he refers to two characters or, or a group of characters that John doesn't refer to. Matthew in in 28 verse 11 refers to some guards who were at the tomb after this whole revelation happened. And so they were the ones guarding the tomb. And now watch this. They leave the tomb and they go to tell the chief priests what happened. So you got one group running towards the tomb and you got another group walking away from it. What's the difference? The difference is personal. Hear me. There will always be a difference between religion and relationship. Always. Pharisees all throughout Scripture, I don't know if you know this, they had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. Have you ever read the first five books of the Bible? Could you imagine having to memorize that? They, had to, they knew everything about religion. And yet, isn't it funny that that's not who Jesus revealed himself to? Because it was more about personal relationship than it ever was about tradition and religion. And so he went to those that he knew And so the guards are going to the chief priest because that's where their relationship is. It's amazing the impact personal will have on you. When I was young, my sister babysit all the time. And it caused me to be around kids all the time. And I'm about to be real with you for a moment, so please don't be like, wow, that guy's your pastor? I could not stand kids. Couldn't stand them. I was 16, 17 years old. If you would have asked me, I would have said, I don't, want, I don't ever want to have kids. I don't want anything to do with kids. I couldn't stand kids. She would babysit them, and I would, like, try to find ways to give them away or to sell them. You know what I mean? I'd be putting them on Facebook, like, hey, there's free kids. Come get them. It's not real. Just kidding. I don't even think Facebook was around then. And so I could not stand children. And here's what people kept telling me. They would always say it'll be different when they're because they knew what I had to learn, which was when it's personal, it's different. You may not be a religious person, but the moment you allow it to become personal, it becomes life-changing. Easter Sunday to you right now may just be an event. It may be an opportunity for you to get some candy for your kids so that they'll be quiet for two minutes. Maybe an opportunity for you to dress your best. Maybe an opportunity to see some friends. Maybe an opportunity for you to just be in the presence of God because you still yearn for it. But it may just be an event. And it's gonna always be a past event until the personal connection makes it an ongoing experience. That's why the resurrection is retrospective. Number two, the resurrection is relief. The resurrection is relief. I was on social media over the weekend, and I was seeing, I I have a lot of friends who are pastors, and obviously I follow churches and different things, and all these posts about Good Friday. Y'all saw those posts all over Facebook and Instagram? Good Friday, it's Good Friday, it's Good Friday, it's Good Friday. It it was Good Friday. If you know anything about the, the whole history, you know, you got Palm Sunday last weekend, then we have Good Friday on Friday, and of course this is what you've heard as Resurrection Sunday. And so you just see Good Friday, Good Friday, Good Friday. And I had this thought. It's only Good Friday because it was a great Sunday, right? I mean, it's only Good Friday because it was Resurrection Sunday. Without Resurrection Sunday, it's really, 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 really bad Friday. Because Jesus is dead. And I think so much, so often, I'm gonna take this off real quick, getting a little warm up here. So often, so often we, we are penalized uh, we, 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 we don't get to experience what the disciples got to experience because, listen, when we read the Bible, we already know how it ends. I, I don't know if y'all are like this, but I don't like to be in movies and be surprised. Like, like I hate being in movies and wondering if that character's going to die or what's going to happen. And so I will go on to IMDb and read the entire movie before I watch it. And I thought that was smart, because I was like, I'm getting past all the moments that would, like, surprise me. Because I don't need more stress in my life, you know what I mean? I don't want to be wondering if he's going to die or come back to life at the end. And so I would be reading these things, and then I found out when I'd go to the movie, I wouldn't enjoy the movie. Because I knew how it was going to end, so every suspenseful moment wasn't suspenseful for me anymore. And when you know Jesus resurrected, it takes away the power of the crucifixion. Watch this. Friday... Had to be traumatizing for the disciples. Could you imagine everything you believed in, everything you sold out to, everything you had given your heart to, and now all of a sudden he's dead? Everything you hoped for is gone. The movement is no longer moving. The hope is deferred because the disciples had to believe that when Jesus died, he would do what dead people usually do, which is stay dead. And so for them, it was over. Imagine the trauma they would have had to go through. Could you imagine something you believed all that time and gave everything to, and you it cost you relationships, and it almost cost you your life, and it cost you your reputation, and all of a sudden, he's dead? (laughs) That's not how this was supposed to go. And one of the reasons why I think Peter and John were running the way they were is because I think deep down inside, they had a little hope that maybe, just maybe, He wasn't dead. The crucifixion was on Friday. Listen to me, catch this. On Friday, your failures is what was put up, right? Your past and all of your disappointments is what was put up on the pedestal. That's what all the attention was to. Your sins, your mistakes, your failures was put on the pedestal. But on Sunday, his resurrection was. And here's what I believe about the resurrection. For every Friday, there's a Sunday. The Friday for you represents the hope that you had that was deferred. It represents the moment that you keep worrying about because it's not going the way you thought it was going to go. It's that moment where you prayed and God didn't answer your prayer. It's when it went the other direction than you thought it was going to go. It's your hurt, it's your pain, it's your tears, it's your disappointment, it's whatever fear, whatever that is, that's your Friday. And for every Friday, there's a Sunday. Yes, Christ died. And that is what took away our sins, church. But instead of walking in the crucifixion, we're supposed to walk in the resurrection. Because it was Him coming back to life that gives us hope and future. And no longer are we supposed to be worried about Friday because we can always trust in relief that there's a Sunday. You know, I thought it was so interesting in these verses where it takes the time to show that Peter and John evaluate the fabric, the linings. You ever read something in the Bible and go, why is that even in there? You know, like, what is the purpose of that? There's this time in the Bible where Jesus is fasting, and it says that he hadn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, and then there's a verse that says, and he was hungry. Oh, I bet he was. <laughs> you know? Like, sometimes it's just, and, and it, but if, the more you look at it, the more you start to understand there's nothing in the Bible on accident. There's everything in there for a reason. And so there's a, there's a verse in this story, I want to show it to you, where it says, Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. Watch this. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. So we talked a little bit about this last week. There's a whole preparation for burial that they've wrapped these clothes around Jesus. And then he has this particular uh, cloth around his head. It says, the cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. So the cloth that was on his head is separate from the linen. Some theologians say this. Some theologians say there was a real reason why those two linens are separated. And here's the reason they give. In Hebrew tradition, um, when you had masters and they had servants, and servants would set up the table for their masters to eat, and nothing was more embarrassing, right, than coming and getting somebody's food when they're done eating. Y'all ever been out to eat And like you're in the middle of eating, and the waiter comes and tries to take your food, and you almost bite their hand off. You know what I mean? It's like, no, man, I'm still finishing that, bruh. Like I still got some. I got to mop up some of that juice right there in the corner. You need to move on. And so there's nothing more embarrassing than that. So these servants didn't want that embarrassing moment, and so this kind of tradition came together. And and we often operate by this way too. I'll show you. But the tradition was this: if the master was done eating, he would get up. He would take his napkin. He'd wipe off his fingers. He'd wipe off his mouth. He'd wipe off his chin. He'd ball up the napkin and then place it in his plate. And and that signified I'm finished. Y'all do that today, right? Go out to eat, get done eating, ball up your napkin, kind of throw it in the plate, tells the waiter, you can take my plate. We still kind of operate that way. Well, there was another thing in their tradition to where if for whatever reason the master needed to leave for a moment, I don't know, restroom or whatever, and then come back to table, he would take his napkin and he would fold it up in a specific way and lay it beside the plate. And the purpose of that was to let them know I'll be Back. So here's what theologians believe: that when you went into that tomb, you had the grave clothes wadded up, and beside the grave clothes, the the, the cloth that was on his head was folded. So you had one saying, That is finished, and you had another one saying, I'll be back, all right? You see what I mean? So there was relief in the resurrection. Jesus was letting his people know from day one. Wherever there's a Friday, right beside it, there'll always be a Sunday. Whenever there's a moment of crucifixion, whenever there's a moment of failure, when there's something in your life that you think is dead, there's always an opportunity for Christ to resurrect it. Because he said, I'll be back, I was writing this, and I didn't want to do this because I was going to be corny, but we're family, right? So I can do this. I immediately started thinking about Arnold Schwarzenegger when I did this. Y'all remember him, right? Arnold, get to the charger. Yeah. Uh, I'm not an impersonator, as you can tell. But if y'all seen, anybody here seen The Terminator? Seen The Terminator? Or whichever one it was, the second one, I think. And so, you know, you got Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he comes as a Terminator to save the woman and her son. And and he's going to sacrifice himself at the end To save them, and as he's going into the multi-hot lava, he has that famous line that that right you guys remember what is it? I'll be back. Now, when Jesus said it, he didn't have that accent. You know, Arnold ripped him off. But that was the mindset. The resurrection is relief, and understanding. Listen to me, church. You're going to go through some things. You're going to have some failures. You're going to have some hard times. Some of you are right now in the middle of the hardest moment of your life and you cannot understand why it's happening. And don't for one second put yourself apart from the disciples because they stood in the same confusion you stand in. In the same disappointment you stand in. They worried and they wondered what happened. But the resurrection isn't just an event. It's an experience that to you screams relief. Relief. That everything you have to worry about, everything that you think is dead, has been resurrected. It's why it's important for Christians to not just celebrate the resurrection on Easter Sunday, but to walk in the resurrection daily. Because the next time you face something, listen, it's okay to cry. I've never been one of those preachers that are like, look, when you're going through something, you stand up and act like it's not bothering you. Look, It bothered me but I wasn't defeated, right? I may have been bruised, but I wasn't defeated because I understand that my story of my Savior has an ending of relief. Think about all the religions that serve and follow a God who's dead. We're the only ones who serve and follow a God who's alive. And so we should walk differently. The Friday-Sunday thing, I thought it was interesting, in John sixteen thirty-three. I feel like there was a verse that lays it out again. Look at this. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Why? Because in this world you will have trouble. Christ never once said that when you become a Christian you won't face anything. That's a lie we try to believe. But he says, you will face trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. That's why when we sing, you have overcome the world. That's why you see people screaming. That's why I'm over here shaking like I actually got keys in my hand. Because there were moments where it was a Friday in my life. And then came Sunday. Look at it. In this world you'll have trouble. Friday. I have overcome the world. Sunday. This Sunday represents who Christ is in your life. He's a Resurrector. And with him, every day is Sunday. There's got to be joy in that. So when it comes to the resurrection, first, it's retrospective. How we tend to look back on it will depend on where our relationship is. And then if you have a personal relationship and it becomes an experience, as a result of that, it's now an experience that brings relief. And then third, the resurrection is results. It's results. So Peter and John are running. Again, watch this. Very, very, uh, if you, if you, you know, if you, if you don't pay attention, you'll kind of catch it. But verses 6 and 7, you got Peter and John kind of running. And put that verse up there for me real quick. And they're running neck to neck. And it says, both are running, but the other disciple outran Peter. John reaches the tomb first. Watch this. John bends over. <laughs> And looked in the tomb at the strips of linen lying there, watch this, but did not, what? Go in. This dude, Usain, bolted right past Peter, right? And he gets to the tomb, and it says he gets right up to the edge of the tomb, but he does not go in. Instead, he stops, bends over, and looks in the tomb and sees the linen. The number one strategy of the enemy is for us to get as close as we can to God without actually going all the way in. If he can get us to get all the way and bend over and look in the church, what's going on in there? And be that close to the resurrecting power, but not to allow the resurrecting power to get in us, then he's won. Some of us are the first to the tomb, and we still don't go in. As we were going through this series, I thought it was pretty interesting as we kind of preached through all these patterns. And I'm not going to lie to you, when I first started the series, I, I didn't even know it was as wide as it was. It's why you've heard me say I would tell the church at the beginning of the series, man, I'm going to talk about relationships, and I'm going to talk about finances. Well, the Bible just kept showing me pattern after pattern after pattern. I couldn't even get to relationships and finances and different things. We will throughout the rest of the year. but. And it was kind of interesting to me that that all of these patterns are, are available to us in the world. You know, we're really not bad people. I don't think a husband gets married with the vision of destroying his marriage. I don't think parents have kids with the goal of having horrible kids. I don't think you go to work with the belief that you want to have a bad financial plan. I just think we fall prey to patterns. All these different things start to happen. And so throughout with relationship with our friends or whatever books we read or TV shows we read, patterns start to come, start to pile up. And remember what Romans said, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So according to Paul these patterns come along. Here's a pattern right here for your finances. And what we'll do is we'll conform our life around it and now it's inside of us, right? Here's a pattern for how you should operate with your kids and here's how you should treat them and here's how you should what you should expect from them and boom. Here's a pattern for your marriage. Here's a pattern for your in-laws. Nope, okay. Here's a pattern for how you should operate at your job. And and here's a pattern for how you should operate in your friends. And here's a pattern for what you should believe when it comes to church. And before you know it, we end up with all of these different patterns. The more I studied this, I started thinking, man, we don't operate by one pattern. We have all of these different patterns. Some people got their patterns from dad. Dad did it this way. It's the way I do it. Some people got their patterns from mom this is the way mom did it always do it some people got their patterns from their brother and sister from the grandma and grandpa some got it from tv some got it from a mentor some got it from a best friend but we all end up with these patterns and watch this watch how it operates then we come into something like this and we do not argue that Jesus resurrected and that God is in, is awesome and that we need him and that our lives could be better and that we need it we do not argue with that nobody will walk out of here today and go whatever he says wrong god will not make my life better we all walk out believing god will make our life better but when we walk out of the church we fall right back into the patterns that are in place in us and we wonder why we couldn't do what we said we would do right here and it's not because you've made up your mind that you refuse to do what God says it's just that you're stuck in a pattern one of the things I wanted to talk about and this is I didn't get to so I'm going to do it now scientists talk about neural pathways y'all remember when you were in school and you had the desk that had the notch up at the top and your pin would sit in it y'all remember that Anybody? Am I that old? Okay, here we go. Okay. Um, And so you can take your pencil and you can like roll your pencil on the desk and it would roll and if it hit that little, it would just stay, right? Okay. So what they say is whenever we do something, you know, often, we create a rut in our minds, like a neural pathway is what they call it, a rut. And so you imagine a marble rolling on a desk and all of a sudden when it catches that rut, it starts to go the direction of that rut. So what what the scientists teach is this, when you have a thought, Let's just say it's financially. When you have a thought financially, and you're going right, you're going right, you're going right, that marble's moving, and all of a sudden it falls back into that pattern or that rut, and it just goes right where that rut goes. It's why, it's why people who win the lottery end up broke. Because they have a pattern of a poverty mindset, so they don't know how to spend the money. It's why people who have broken relationships have divorced marriages because they were in this rut and they didn't fix the rut. All these patterns. It's not that we don't want to live for God. It's just we got a lot of ruts. And here's what happens. Let's put this down here for a second. Is made available to us is the power, God's resurrection power. So we get around it, Right? Ooh, I'm about to get my life changed. I'm near God's resurrection power. I'm, 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 I'm around God's resurrection power. I'm close. I'm going to get really close. I'm going to bend over and I'm going to check out God's resurrection power. But here's what I've learned. No matter how close I get them, change never happens. Because as long as we're on the outside looking in, it doesn't matter how close we get. Those patterns remain, and it doesn't work until... Let me show you this. Verse 8. Watch this. Y'all enjoying this? I am. I don't know if you are, but I am. I might get saved. Finally. 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 Say it. You ain't even got a microphone. I can't do it. We only let you talk when you sing. Just kidding. Tim finally what if this easter is your finally finally god i've been getting so close to you i've been to church i've been trying to read i've been getting so close to you i'm watching i'm watching you through my friend i'm watching you through my wife i'm watching you through my husband i'm watching you through my kids i'm getting close doesn't bring change finally finally he who had reached the tomb first went inside and when he went inside says he saw took science class I know how this operates apparently when something starts to go in what's in there starts to come let's move around starts to come out I get it now It doesn't matter how close I get to his resurrecting power. It doesn't matter if I get right in and even look in. It's not until I allow him all in. It's not until I go all in in that those things that were in me start to come out of me and out of with world patterns means in with God's patterns and now those ruts start to get filled up and new ruts start to be made and I start to realize that God is a resurrecting God and that whatever was dead in my life can be brought back to life and I can be changed and whatever was dead can come alive and whatever failed can be success because he's alive in me but i got to go in i got to go in you know what i thought was interesting remember how it said he bent over and he looked in and he saw the linens remember that but then verse 8 says he saw and believed he already saw didn't he it said he looked in and saw the linen now, all of a sudden, he, he saw and believed. Look, a Easter egg hunt. Huh? Just kidding. Uh, now, all of a sudden, he saw and believed. What was, what, what's the difference? He saw both times. Here's what I believe. Now, again, I told you, not everything, sometimes when I say these things, it comes from me trying to be there, trying to imagine how it went. So, John gets to it, and he looks in, and he sees the linen. But here's what I know, is he can't see throughout the entire tomb, right? So because he's not in, he allows room for the what-ifs. What if his body's just up against the wall in there? What if, Jacob, somebody took him and kind of put him, up in the corner somewhere. What, what if, what if, what if? Because I'm looking in, but I'm not all the way in. And when I'm not all the way in, I have the ability to say, what if? But then when he went in, now he's got a 360 view. And now he can see in every rock and in every crevice and he can say, you know what? He ain't in here, he gone, you know? And so if he's not here, I don't have the ability for what ifs. As long as you hold back with God, as long as you're one foot in, one foot out, one foot in to turn it all about, as long as you're playing that process, you will always open up the room for what if. Well, what if he doesn't want them to be healed? What if he doesn't want my marriage to work? What if he doesn't want my kid to succeed? What if he doesn't want my finances to get better? What if, what if, what if, what if? Well, as long as you're on the outside looking in, you can say that. But when you get in, it eliminates the what ifs. And now the resurrection brings results and change in our lives. Because here's what I've learned about the resurrection is that it begins retrospective, starts as an event, but when it becomes personal, Nikki, it's an experience. And then it moves from that experience gets over here and becomes relief. It's relief, Barbara. It's relief, it's no longer an event. I believe my grandson will be delivered because it's relief. And once it's relief, then you start to see results. And it's not religion, it's redemption. It's restoration, it's revelation. Welcome to the resurrection. It's not just a holiday. It's the reason I breathe. It's every bit of hope I got. It's the reason why I preach. It's the reason why I make my kids read the Bible. It's the reason why me and my wife walk shoulder to shoulder believing in the power of God because he's proven it time and time again. He's a resurrecting, alive God who wants to change my life. And patterns are in my life. I got patterns, folks. I got saved at 18. I got 18 years of patterns. I had a lot of patterns after that too. But he's working on them. Amen. In a moment, you'll have an opportunity to, if you've never committed your life to Christ, you're going to have that opportunity, and it's going to be incredible. You'll have an opportunity to recommit your life. You say, what is that, Troy? What is that? It means that at one point you were dedicated to that relationship with God, and you walked away from it, whatever reason. And God brought you here this morning to relight that, and he brought Victory Church here for you for every one of you. What's really cool is I thought about this when I was praying next week's baptism. So if you commit your life today or recommit and you say, man, I want to get baptized, write it on the card. We'd love to celebrate that with you. But before we get into that, I want to share just one more thing and I'll get ready to walk off. As you might've seen in that video, we are launching a series next week that I think is so appropriate to follow this series of patterns called greater things. And in John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus says that you will do even greater things than I have done because I am going to be with the Father. Jesus' resurrection didn't stop with his resurrection. The continuation of the resurrection, watch this, is you. God's plan for you is to do greater things in God, greater things in your family, greater things in your workplace, greater things in every aspect and be able to see things impact the kingdom of God. And we're gonna open up that concept for the next few weeks because I believe that God, yes, I think he wants to do greater things in the church, but you know what? The Bible says he'll build his church. I'm not concerned about that. I think he wants to do greater things in you and in you and in me. And so there's a few things that we are going to pray as a church. And I don't know if you're going to return. If you're visiting with us, maybe you'll say, man, that was semi-fun. I think I'm going to go back and check that out again. But if you don't, I want to pray these things over you today. Because I don't think you have to go to Victory Church for God to do greater things in you. I just think God gave you a vessel to be able to operate them in. But I believe these things for every person. And so I want to pray these things. By all means, you can pray with me. You don't have to, but I'm going to pray and then I'm going to walk away, and Brian's going to come up and give you that opportunity to commit your life to Christ. But I felt it strong in my heart to pray these things over you and your family because the resurrection continues in you. Lord, I pray right now for every person in this place, for me and my family, for every mom, every dad, every husband, every wife, every grandma, every grandpa, every aunt, uncle. Every child, every young person, every young adult, every engaged couple, married couple, single couple, dating couple, everything that you could possibly do. I pray right now these things. I pray for a greater authority and confidence in you, God, in them. That they would walk in the authority that you gave them and they would walk in the confidence of who they are in you. I'm going to need those back up for me. pray over that authority. I pray over that confidence. Pray right now for their families. Pray for greater clarity of my identity and calling. Pray for greater purpose as they approach everyday tasks. Pray for greater joy in knowing that they are in the sweet spot of God's blessing. I pray greater influence over their marriage, their relationships, their family, their friends, and the people around them. And I pray for them to have greater impact in Smyrna, North Rutherford County, Nashville, and the world. And Lord, I lift up everybody in this place. I pray John 14, 12 over their lives. That God, when you resurrected, you didn't just resurrect so that we could have relief, You resurrected so that we could see results, but then you resurrected so that it would continue in who we are. Every disciple ran away from you when you were on the cross, and they died for you after the resurrection. That's the calling you have on our lives. And so I pray greater things over every person represented here this morning. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said